This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going great, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It is my favorite time of year. It's fall. It is getting colder, which I love, and the colors are, are starting to change a little bit. This is a fun one because we're recording it, you know, six days ahead of time. So <laughs> anything that we say by the time you listen to this is going to be, you know, wildly out of date, or we could get all of our predictions right. Um, my big prediction, I think, is that by the time the weekend rolls around, the upcoming weekend rolls around, I think the colors are going to be pretty much here. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, October, you know, that pumpkin patch weekend is usually about the time when they, they pop pretty well, unless we get that, that really crazy early storm that wipes them out. But usually pumpkin patch has pretty good color. And then it's like, cross your fingers for fall fest. Right. I was looking back at... Some of the stuff that I wrote about the fall colors last year, just to refresh my brain on how they actually work. And the colors generally tend to happen the same time every year. You don't have kind of the fluctuation like you do with like the cherry blossoms can kind of fluctuate. But fall colors tend to happen the same time every year because it is dependent on how much sun they are getting. Not so much on on weather. Moisture has an effect on what you see, but not necessarily when it happens, more what it looks like. And because the amount of daylight is pretty consistent from year to year, they tend to do it at the same time. It basically triggers the leaves to stop taking in chlorophyll, and that's what makes them die. And as they die, they uh, they do it really spectacularly. So <laughs> should be, I would guess, probably second weekend of October should be looking Looking pretty nice. And we've had some good moisture this year, too. So I'm thinking pretty vibrant colors. They were a little muted last year because kind of had a bit of a drought. But I'm thinking thinking going to be real nice. And that's the update from our resident leaf scientist, Andrew Clyden. That's me. I spend most of my time looking at leaves, waiting for things to happen. And they only really happen twice a year. So... <laughs> Two things happen all year. It's a lot of downtime. Uh, you mentioned Pumpkin Patch Weekend, which is uh, this weekend in Egg Harbor. Should be pretty fun. It's uh, we're, we're right in the middle of Fall Festival season. We've got Fall Fest coming up next weekend. Yes. Am I right? Okay. I'm, I'm again, trying to predict. Um, <laughs> but uh, we got Pumpkin Patch this weekend in Egg Harbor. Should be pretty fun. A couple different things this year, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the big things for people who are going to Pumpkin Patch, it, it does end up being that that is our maybe if not the biggest weekend of the year, one of the three or four busiest weekends of the year for the whole county. And so the traffic obviously would be heavy anyway. And then you add that festival in Egg Harbor. So it becomes really trafficy and really hard to find parking. So Egg Harbor has done a couple things to try and loosen up that congestion this year. They've added a park and ride, which they've done for a couple of years from Horseshoe Bay Farms. So there's a big parking lot there. There will be a free shuttle. So you can park down there, check out the farm, get tours of the farm, and then take the shuttle into Egg Harbor. And the shuttle will take you back whenever you need to come back. And those will be running pretty regularly. And then they have another shuttle running from the Sequest Orchard, like what locals would call the Sequest Orchards Processing Plant out on County E. So if you're unfamiliar with the roads or don't know them like the back of your hand, uh, if you go on the north end of Egg Harbor, you can turn at what used to be the Trio Restaurant on County E. You take a right there and you go about a half mile down the road. 
It'll be a big parking lot there with shuttles taking you into town from there. So versus people parking alongside the highway on the stretches north and south of town, make it a little safer and and spread out the cars a little bit more and hopefully get some people just taking those shuttles back and forth. Right. Do they close down the street during Pumpkin Patch? They do, yeah. Okay. And then this is the first year that Pumpkin Patch has happened with Church Street being updated. Is there yeah. is there technically more parking now that Church Street is done, or is it kind of a wash? Because people would just park there anyway. Yeah, I think I would call it a wash because maybe they will park more smartly. Like, if you don't line the streets, generally people use parking pretty correctly, but you might get some people who just screw up the, the flow by parking perpendicular where you might want to parallel park or vice versa. And, you know, like in Bailey's Harbor, if you don't very specifically lay out, there's a parking lot on the kind of like a, one of the back streets here, side streets of Bailey's Harbor. So when you do a festival, there's this whole grassy area where people can park. But if you don't monitor it at the beginning of the day, people will inevitably like park in the entire lot. So you lose like the ability to use like 60 spaces. Same kind of thing will happen at these festivals if you don't like tell them exactly where to go. But all in all, it, it actually might end up being fewer spaces because when you mark them, those parking spaces are actually pretty big. Yeah, people aren't pushing up as close to each other. So they don't go bumper to bumper the way you would in like a city or something. So Right, that makes sense. Any any updates on live music or anything cool going on? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of live music in town. They got uh, live music in Harborview Park. We've got the full schedule on our website at doorcountypulse.com. You can also go to the Egg Harbor Business Association website and get the full rundown. Uh, we have all the live music times listed in there, but they have, they'll have live music at Harborview Park. There's also going to be kind of a reggae party at One Barrel Brewing Company. And then there's, there's going to be live music all weekend long, each night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night at Alpine Resort. So the... the if you haven't gotten down to check out the Alpine yet this year and see kind of the renovations and stuff, opportunity to do that in the evenings for Pumpkin Patch Weekend. Sweet. Tell me they're going to have caramel apples and kettle corn. I, I believe you can count on caramel apples, <laughs> kettle corn. They're going to have kids' games and carnival rides. A lot of kids' activities up at the Crest Pavilion. I think Saturday they've got a magician and stuff. So if you got family, it's a great event to go to. If you just want to come down and eat some great food, stroll around, have a beer, great event. So a lot of stuff to do. Sweet. There's two things that I want to talk about for this episode besides kind of the, the weekend preview that we just did. One thing is Liberty Grobe is looking at expanding their broadband access. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about that after the break. But before we get into that, Patty Williamson, who has written for us for years, very prolific with <laughs> In the yeah. pulse. You would know her from all of her great stories that she did on in our history section, kind of chronicling Door County's history. She passed away recently. We have one more article of hers that we're going to be putting in the pulse this week. Uh, and Miles, you're writing about her. Deb wrote something very beautiful about her last week. So if you picked up the pulse last week, you can kind of read that. But yeah, very, very sad. Patty has been with The Pulse for a number of years. She's been there as long as I've been here. And just a, a fantastic woman and a fantastic writer. And it, it's really sad to see her go. Yeah, uh, really sad news to get that start today, I believe, on, on Tuesday morning of last week. You know, Patty, she first started writing for us way back in 2008. She inquired about wanting to do some writing up here and if we'd like to take her up on writing some articles and you know, she had done some stuff with the Jacksonport Historical Society, and she was really involved with AFT at what's now Northern Sky. And you get inquiries like that from people. We get a lot of those, and they're pretty hit or miss. Like somebody says, yeah, I want to do these, this writing. I really want to take this on. And they try to do it, and it's harder than they thought. And they just, you know, actually, this isn't for me. And I would say that's three out of four at least. And Patty 
was probably the best person that's ever inquired about writing in, in terms of what she covered, her dedication to it, her joy in it. And so over the last 14 to 15 years, she has written at least 340 articles for us. And her articles are usually like 1,000 to, to 1,500 words. You, you think that like hundreds of thousands of words <laughs> for us. So and when I look at that as just an editor and trying to fill pages, you're like, wow, that's just, that's just amazing, the work she's done over the years. But she came to us at 74. She was 70-some years old and picked up the second career doing freelance writing for us. And she actually turned in her last article last, yeah, a week ago. And <laughs> so she wrote literally until almost until the day she died. Yeah. And still had more stories, more ideas for stuff to write too. Yeah. Still had stories. Howard, her husband, who has been her supporter and helped her as her health failed the last few years. Howard would drive around. Howard would come here and would take her to interviews. And then he would come in here with photos that Patty needed scanned or to get something done on her computer for. It was really a, a team there. And the, those two had such a great relationship, married for over 60 years. Just a couple of weeks ago, you know, before she passed, she had just arrived home from a two-week road trip where she and Howard went and visited their grandkids, their great-grandkids, went and saw them play soccer games, saw another grandkid do a rodeo for the first time, and went to their 70th high school reunion. And he said they were one of, I think, 14 people there. And he said when they were driving home, Patty told them, when we get home, I've, I've got to call Miles. I've got some ideas I got, I, I got to throw out there. And so she, unfortunately, will we'll never see those. But she got home, back to the place she loved in Kangaroo Lake, and passed away peacefully and, and pain-free at 88. And you know, I'm just so grateful that we had her contributions. Never miss a deadline. Never once miss a deadline for me. Yeah. In terms of, of the, like you were talking about hit or miss writers, like you could not ask for a better writer than Patty always had deadlines, always had ideas. Yeah. And then the quality of her work was always astounding. She would write these history pieces and she would come back with complete chronological <laughs> re yeah. like recounting of everything. If she was writing about a building, she knew every single tenant that the building had back to when it was built. Like first, last names, families, what they did, where they are now, yeah. everything. I mean, the hardest thing was going like, all right, I, I need to cut this down, but somebody's going to miss going to be like, well, you didn't have this in there. And I'm like, I know I'm going to get that email afterward. And Patty's going to look at that and go, I had it in there. <laughs> and because she does, she, she had it all. And, and if she did have something wrong, she felt so bad about it. She would double check five sources after the fact, just to figure out like, what, how did I get that wrong? Or what did I miss? So she was diligent. And not just that, but her for us as a paper, it meant a lot. But like for the community, you think about that. That's 340 stories of people that, you know, maybe some of them somebody else would have written, but most of them nobody else was going to do. And she would she would come to me with ideas. And I'm a guy who like to think I, I know a lot of the background, a lot of the stories of Door County. I know a lot of the people who are interesting. And there's a ton of people on my long list that I want to get to. And she would come to me with ideas that I knew nothing about. And at first I would be like, well, what is this? And then I'd start like, hey, you know what? Patty's usually right. Like, sure, go for that. And then she'd come back with this thing that was, you know, the most read thing on our website. A lot of her stories were the most popular ones that week. And, you know, last night we're recording this Thursday, September 29th. Last night I did a presentation on Chateau Hutter for the Egg Harbor Historical Society. And I started by, by noting that 
you know, Patty, a, a lover of history, had passed away. And there was an audible gasp in the room. And it was sad, but it was also really cool to see in this community somebody who kind of came here in her retirement years. And these people were just so sad that she had passed. And she had done so much to help educate them about their community. This, you know, and you, you hear this a lot out here, this, the outsiders versus insiders, natives versus um, transplants. And Patty's one of those transplants that did such an incredible service to this community and, and documenting who we are and, and the people who make this place special, whether big or small. And she also loved going to like high school plays and yeah. Northern Sky, she loved Northern Sky Theater. Yeah, she loved theater. She's written about theater. Last year when I was writing a lot of theater, every once in a while she would come with, you know, a story that she had gotten from having drinks with Bob and James over at Third Avenue Playhouse and yeah. wanting to do, <laughs> like she she was connected in that community and, and it was really great to see her perspective on theater too. Yeah, I mean, she loved it and she loved going to, you know, most people go to a high school play because their grandkid or kid is in there. And she would just go to the local place because she loved to see kids perform and loved to see just theater of any kind. You know, talking about her, it, it, I still get a little bit choked up about it, just knowing like we're not going to get those ideas from her anymore or have Howard stop by to get the computer fixed. <laughs> but, you know, she would, Patty would still send you Jackie Lawson e-cards on holidays. So you get those, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those. Andrew. Not, they were I'm a not. big thing in the night, like late 90s, early 2000s, where they're like animated e-cards. Patty still sent those. I still get them from one of my aunts as well. But she would send us these updates. If she was heading out of town, she'd just check in and be like, just so you guys know, I won't be able to do anything for the next two weeks. I'm going to be on the road. <laughs> then I'll be back this time. I'm going to go do this, this, this. And, and here are the stories that I'm percolating on right now and that, I'm, uh, that are underway. And it was just great. I mean, it's just, she was, I, I talked to Alyssa Skiba, who worked with her for a while. Alyssa now works for... Uh, Wisconsin Public Television down in, in Madison, but I called her to let her know about Patty's passing, and, and she referred to her as kind of, she was like our office, she was like our pulse grandmother, and I, I like that's a perfect way to put it, you know, just a sweet old grandma. Yeah, Deb Fitzgerald wrote about her as soon as she found out just to get it in for that Wednesday deadline, and the thing that came across in her talking about Patty is that Patty was 88, her health had been declining for years, it should not have been shocking that she passed away and yet talking to her you wouldn't guess that yeah. she was as old as she was because she was so full of life and so active and doing stuff constantly that it you are still shocked yeah yeah it's just gonna be weird not to get those emails you know and you mentioned like how special her writing especially her history writings and and being able to talk to that audience and them being so popular ballpark. How many, how many prints do we make a week? How, how many, uh, newspapers go out? About 25,000. Okay. So a, a decent amount. We want our audience to be in the tens of thousands when we're, when we're writing, we want to speak to as many people as possible, but we, we are still a small community and our older readers remember a time when the community was even smaller. Mm -hmm. And so I always loved when she would write about, a an old grocery store from the thirties. Yeah. And then somebody on Facebook in their eighties or nineties would comment and be like, Oh, I used to love going there to get candy every weekend. Like her stories may have talked to a much smaller audience, but think about how impactful those stories are to have something written about your favorite restaurant from your youth. That's never been written about. Yeah. Like that. I think that that's kind of the, the really special thing about her stories is that, 
they would sometimes talk to a very focused audience, but it would mean so much to them. Yeah, they resonated with people. And she would, like, not everyone wants to write those stories. I mean, I would get these ideas, and a lot of times I would pass things on to her, and the grocery stores is a perfect example. I was, my dad had always been on my case about, yeah, somebody needs to write something about these, all these rural grocery stores that we're losing, you know, because I grew up at the last stages of them, so I remember a couple of them from when I was a kid. And so I'm like, yeah, there is something there about what's lost when you lose these places and what they meant to the community. And it was one of the long, it was on my list for like, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And finally, for me, sometimes it's hard to let those items go because I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do a great job with this story one day. I can't just assign it to somebody. But eventually I'm like, I'm not getting to it. Patty's the one to do it. I thought it was like a 1200 word story. She went and documented every rural grocery store that, as far as I know, that ever existed in the county. I mean, there might be a few more out there that she didn't touch on, but she touched on, I think, like 27. And when she started coming back, she's like, I've got this information on this, and I talked to this person who told me about this, and I talked to this person who knew about washer checks and the person behind, before washer checks. And I'm just like, I think we're, we're going to have to split this up, Patty. I think we're going to have to do these in a, in a series because I don't have 20,000 words available in this week's paper. Right. And she did. She she just kept working at it. And somebody would say, well, there was this, what about this one store? And she'd be like, I've got another one. It's great because people loved it. And it's this whole special section on our website. And it's all this history documented. And you don't think of that as big time history. But for these towns, these places were the gathering places. These were those so-called third spaces that they weren't assembly halls, but they basically were. They weren't the town hall, but they functioned in many ways as that place where you met your neighbors and talked about issues and things like that. And she's making sure that those aren't forgotten, which is a a just really cool aspect. Well, and you you touched on just the amount of work that goes into doing a history piece like there. And Patty would go... I would have never had the time to do what she did with that story. Right. And and Patty would go above and beyond like on on these things like we had talked about. But when when you're writing a regular news story, you kind of, you kind of know who you're going to interview. You kind of like, you've got a roadmap that's pretty easy to follow. But with these history stories, sometimes you don't even know, like, who's alive to talk to about it. And she would go through, like, register of deeds. She would find people who own the building through what time span they would. She would document entire family histories. Like, she, she worked so hard on these. And I just, every time that I would read them, I would just always think, like, what a great service this is to document as completely as she did all of these things. And, you know, in that process, in those kind of stories, you run into so many dead ends because you're like, yeah, this person will know. And that person's like, no, I, I never went there. And then they'll tell you, well, talk to Jim Sones. He would, he would know more about that. And you call him up and he goes, no, that's the other family. I don't know. I wouldn't be the one to talk to about that. So you, you run into a lot of that. And she just kept following the web. And, um, you know, the one to wrap it up about Patty that I, that really touched me that Howard told me, I choked up thinking about this again, but he, he said that Patty once told him, you know, Howard, how lucky am I to be in my 70s and I'm finally doing the thing that I love? She always wanted to be a newspaper reporter, and here she was in her golden years, and I feel so grateful to be a part of a, an organization that gave her the opportunity to do it, but I feel more thankful that she was doing it for us. Yeah, that's great. Let's let's take a break and then when we come back I want to talk about internet. It's been a while <laughs> since we since we talked about internet, but uh, Liberty Grove might have some plans on yeah. uh, on some pretty extensive connectivity stuff. So, we'll take a break and then we'll get into that. 
This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. Some of Door County's best stargazing happens indoors. Every year at Door Community Auditorium, we present a star-studded lineup of concerts featuring artists like Brandy Carlisle, The Lumineers, Jason Isbell, Mavis Staples, Billy Strings, Beach Boys, and Buddy Guy. You're now listening to Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives returning to our stage in Fish Creek, October 22nd. Visit dcauditorium.org for a full calendar of upcoming events and to get your tickets today. Okay, we are back. So, is Liberty Grove going to get internet or no? It sounds like it. All right, what is the uh, proposal? So, I, I caught up with some stuff in Liberty Grove, and they've been working on this a little bit. And actually, I will say that Liberty Grove has been working on economic development and broadband options and housing options for a long time. They've, they started an economic development committee years ago. And let me pause you real quick. What all does Liberty Grove encapsulate? Because I think people are hearing Liberty Grove and not realizing what it <laughs> all is. That's a good point. So Liberty Grove is sort of like the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago in that there's all these little pockets within it. So Liberty Grove actually runs probably a lot of people when they're in Liberty Grove think they're in Bailey's Harbor or Sister Bay. Or, <laughs> but because it, it, Liberty Grove is really expansive in terms of land area and covers a ton of shoreline. So it actually collects a lot of property tax because it's got so much shoreline property all on the tip of the peninsula. So Gills Rock, Ellison Bay, Northport, the edge of Sister Bay, and the northern part of what a lot of people probably think of as Baylor's Harbor. That's all encapsulated by Liberty Grove. Right. So the township, so like Ellison Bay, Gills Rock, those don't have their own governments. They all fall under Liberty Grove town government. And Liberty Grove is now looking at doing a broadband to every home, similar to what you've seen in Bailey's Harbor in their discussions, where they are looking at contracting with Insight to bring broadband fiber optic internet to every home in Bailey's Harbor. Liberty Grove is doing the same thing with the same company, Insight Technologies. And the difference is Liberty Grove is because it's so expansive, because it has so much land area, I think 160 miles of roads. It's a lot more ground to cover to get fiber to every home. So could be anywhere from a $10 million to about a $17 million project, but it looks like they're moving forward with it. Okay. Is there any sort of like vote or public opinion on this? Unclear a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was, I was wondering like giving high speed internet to every home seems like a no brainer, but this is a more rural part of the County. You're talking about the people who bought homes in Gills Rock is internet a high priority for the people who bought homes in Gills Rock. It, it seems to be, I mean, it's hard for it not to be a high priority for almost anybody who is a resident at this point, you know, whether you're working from home, watching TV, uh, you have somebody going to school, 
and having to take classes remotely, learning in retirement, now medical services, so much more of, you know, and talking to Brian Stevens and others, one of the big things that any hospital is doing now is trying to expand their telehealth services. So in a community as aging as we are, in Door County, especially Northern Door, that might become more important. And especially if you're way up in Northport, might be a lot more beneficial to do telehealth services than drive an hour to Sturgeon Bay. Yeah, so, I did telehealth once with my doctor during 2020, and it was amazing. Yeah, it was so I, nice. Just to, he was checking up on our son. It was one of our son's checkups, and it was <laughs> so easy. instead of bringing him to there just to you know look at him. The doctor looked at him through the screen and was like, oh, wow. he looks great. Now, well, it's a whole different healthcare discussion of like, all right, do I want to see him in person? Do I want to see him through a screen? Is it the same service? That's a different topic for another podcast. But so there's that. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of seasonal homeowners who are like, well, I don't want to pay for broadband installation on my seasonal home or a vacation rental right. taxes. However, so when I say it's unclear if it needs to go to a vote, from what I was gathering, it depends on how you finance it a little bit. And I would think Liberty Grove, they might just go to a vote anyway, just to have consensus for whatever decision they make, even if they didn't technically have to. Sure. So what they're aiming to do is, what their hope is, that if it costs, say, $12 million, they want to get 30 to 40% of that paid through state and federal grants at least. And so that would bring the cost down for what they'd have to go to the voters for and property owners for. But this would be high-speed internet to every home. I have internet at my home. It's provided by Door County Broadband. Often really great service, but occasionally drops. But I don't have the option to go with Spectrum, and Starlink doesn't work for me if I if I were to use that. Are you in Sister Bay or Liberty Grove? I'm in Liberty, Liberty Grove. Wow. So there are you know a lot of people working from home now. My wife does that. A lot of people I know during the pandemic moved up here and are stay up here. Uh, a lot more people pulling a lot more bandwidth. <laughs> and, you know, it's just going to become more and more in demand. 20 years ago, if you'd have told me that everyone would be streaming their TV shows, I would have thought you were kidding. Like, I, I've, you know, you could barely get an ESPN highlight for 20 seconds to play. So who knows where that's going to go 20 years from now, what we're going to need in terms of, like, carrying capacity on a broadband line. But... There was a proposal from Bertram Communications, which is the owner of Door County Broadband, that Liberty Grove did not go with. I talked to a spokesman from Bertram who said, we understand we were a little bit late to the party, and they've been working with Insight on other projects for many years. So to suddenly switch when they have familiarity, they, they said, like, yeah, we understand. But there, it's a difference in both the technology and how to run the, the fiber where Bertram had proposed burying all fiber throughout Liberty Grove, and Insight proposes a combination of some where it's easy to bury it, they will bury it, the rest of it they will hang on poles to drive the cost down. But there's, there's debate over whether or not that long-term does just equal out anyway because you have to rent the space on the poles then. So try not to get too far in the weeds on some of this technology talk. But, you know, there's, that's a debate of like, if you bury it, just like burying power lines, you don't have as many maintenance issues. You don't have the risk of, you know, say like squirrels eating through lines, which is like shut down power or shut down uh, the internet for a lot of people at one point last year. Uh, you don't have vehicles running into the power poles uh, if you bury the line. So that's where Bertram was heading with it. And Insight goes with that combination. And they, the town of Liberty Grove felt more comfortable in with both the costs and the technology by doing that combination. I know like several years ago, we kind of looked at 
who has internet, who doesn't, what's being done. And it was, there was very little actually going on. I'd be interested in, you know, maybe sometime next year, taking a comprehensive look at the county and like, what are your options wherever you live? And, and what might your options be depending on what people are looking at? Because I feel like we've started to make moves on this, but we're, we're almost at the precipice. We're like, hey, now a bunch of stuff is going to get done on it. It's going to be interesting, like, how this impacts where people want to live, actually. So if Liberty Grove does it, that's a 1,700 residents in Liberty Grove. Bailey's Harbor, about 1,100 or 1,200 residents. Off the top of my head, I might be, give or take a few. They are moving ahead with their fiber. Neswapi chose to go with Bertram down in the southern part of the county, and they're looking at doing it as well. That's roughly four to 5,000 residents right there. That's one-sixth of the county's population suddenly getting fiber to every home. Yeah. So what's going to happen in Egg Harbor or the outskirts parts of, say, Ephraim or other places where it's not run to every popula- or every driveway? Uh, you look at the town of Sevastopol, all those things. So it'll be interesting to see if those other townships and municipalities jump on board as well. And the reason it's happening now is because there's a lot of grant money available for it. There's a lot of support for it partially out of the pandemic with everyone working from home, but also education that has really pushed this forward and made money available because it's like, well, you know, if people are going to have to, and schools are going to do remote learning at a higher basis moving forward, no matter what, whether the COVID or not, you know, so it's just spurring a lot of people to, a lot of municipalities finally take action. Whereas two years ago on this podcast, we'd be talking about, yep, nothing. Yeah. Maybe they'll put up a tower. Yeah. Or, you know, four years ago, if people were moving up here and they're like, hey, I need to, I really need good internet. What are my options? You basically were like Sturgeon Bay, Sister Bay. Those are kind of it for wired internet. And you could, you could make do every once in a while here and there where there'd be little pockets, but that was kind of it. I mean, in Egg Harbor, we had wired internet, but I got one megabyte per second, which is Hmm. basically nothing. It's twice as fast as dial up. (laughs) So... Yeah, the, I'm glad that the conversation is expanding and your options are getting bigger for where you can, you know, build a new home or move to. Yeah, I mean, at least if you want to live in a modern way, I guess. Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy because only a couple of years ago, if you'd asked me about it, I'd say fiber to every home is a pipe dream, you know, because that had been touted up here. And I, I guess I still have some doubts in the back of my head. I don't want to say I doubt these projects, but until it happens, I'm like, is it really going to happen? So Liberty Grove said, John Lowry had spoke to him extensively about this. said they were looking at hopefully having a project underway or completed by 2024. That's pretty soon. That's pretty quick. Pretty quick change. And for back in 2005, six range, when they talked about, there was a company that came up here and said, yeah, we're, we're on fiber to every home in Door County. And I remember writing some stories about it and then you know, just falling apart turns out like, yeah, the, the economics just don't work out. So I've always had it in my head that like the economics will never work out. But with this grant funding, it seems like these municipalities are, are willing to to invest some of that money. In. And maybe that is in part impacted by the fact that room tax has supplemented some of these municipal budgets over those years too, to allow them to have maybe a little bit more money available. I'm not positive on that. Yeah. And while then... Washington Island kickstarted all of it because they did it, and everyone was like, "Oh, Washington well, Island's, Island's got doing it. it. We got to get it." Well, that's a good point. I, I I forgot to mention that Washington Island is in the midst of their project to run broadband to every home, and 
Liberty Grove actually piggybacked on that because in, of course, Washington Island running fiber meant that they had to run some extra stuff through Liberty Grove at the Northport to get to the island. So Liberty Grove worked with Insight to launch a pilot project to kind of piggyback off that main line that they ran. And that's going to service 44 homes and one business in the Northport area for about $637,000. And they got that through their ARPA money, some money from Insight, and then some money from uh, the Public Service Commission grant. So it's not a done deal. They still got to do the engineering study. Maybe that engineering study comes back and says it's going to cost way more than they're expecting. And maybe that stalls the project. Who knows? Maybe it's coming, coming in less. But that Northport project is starting right now and should be done next spring. And yeah, you're going to see a lot, lot more change. And depending on who you talk to, there are some people who, even people who were big supporters of broadband to every home like this for a long time, suddenly said, oh, wait, this is going to make it even easier for people to move up here and work from here, which before the pandemic, we probably would have said like, great. Now there's a little bit of a pushback to that because, you know, if more people move up here, more demands on services, more demands on infrastructure, more traffic, all those types of things. But also, you know, when somebody moves up here and I I can't remember if we talked about this in the podcast before, but if you move up here and work from home, it's great to an extent, you know, a certain number of that is good for the community. And I, I won't say that anyone is bad for the community, but yeah, like you're bringing money up here, like yeah. you're bringing money into the economy, but you are increasing the demand for services and not at all supplementing the supply. Yes. So like taking case, my wife works from home, buys things in the community, right? But she is not working at one of those local businesses. So it adds demand without providing an employee to meet that demand. Whereas right. 20 years ago, if somebody worked, moved up here, you know, if it was a couple like ours, the husband is, you know, working for the town and the wife is working as a chef. And so they're going to restaurants more, but they're also cooking that food and working for the town and supplying the infrastructure, you know? So now if you have one person from that couple working up here and the other one not, the balance is thrown off. And then if you have both of them not working for local businesses, now the balance is doubly thrown off. And they're buying a house and a property and they're putting more demand for property that drives up the prices of those, which makes it even harder for other people to come in and provide the service and supplement the the things that that couple needs. So it's not a, that's not an argument against people. It's just like, yeah. there's a reality of what we're, what you deal with when that, when that happens. And that's part of the imbalance that I don't hear talked about a lot at any of these municipal meetings. People like to just say like, damn tourists. And it's like, well, there's, there's a lot of nuance to this. There's, there are more tourists. But there are more remote workers, which throws off the balance, like I just talked about. And there are just simply more residents in Northern Door County, which just means it's a little busier all the time. Right. It's a, it's a more complicated conversation. But basically what you're saying is you want your wife to stop slacking. <laughs> <laughs> you want your wife to get a job. Uh, do not. And maybe edit that out, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that that's going to do it for us today i hope everybody has a great time this weekend at pumpkin patch and uh we got fall fest coming up the next weekend and then door county closes down for the winter right yeah it gets really quiet everyone has their county back perfect well <laughs> i will i will see you then <laughs> see you next spring andrew thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast if you want to support us at the pulse check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly pulse subscription purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast and we will see you next time.